All right, good morning, happy Easter. Wow, isn't this a great day? You realize this is the most significant day in the, in the Christian calendar. Because you can have a birth, but if you don't have a resurrection, you don't have life. If you have a birth, but you don't have a death, you don't have the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose to give us life and life eternal. You see, Christianity is not a religion, so to speak. It's a relationship. Amen? It's, some, it's a person you meet and you encounter. I remember when I was in college, I was a pre-law student, and I started reading the Bible, and my first impression was I'm in trouble. If you've ever read it, you said, whoa, all of this stuff, if this is true, I've broken all those 10 commandments and the other 20 that are somewhere scattered somewhere else, amen? But you know what? God saved me. God brought me to faith in him. And to me, Christianity was a mystery. I thought, how can this be? How can it be that I could live all these years and not know this truth? Oh, I'd go to church. My parents would drag me, if you know that story. They'd drag me occasionally, and, and I would go kicking and screaming. And, and, I, and I always remember thinking, what is this all about? And they would talk about Jesus dying on the cross, but I never understood why and what did it mean. And involved in this mystery was this mystery of the resurrection. You know, the mystery of the resurrection takes on a new twist when we encounter the entrance of a French knight by the name of Geoffrey of Chenet. You may have never heard that name, but during the campaign of Smyrna in 1354, he acquired an unusual linen burial cloth bearing the image of a crucified man. It was so unusual that Jeffrey packed it in his horse during that battle and finished the fight, but why did he do that and what did he see? On the screen, you're going to see an impression that caught Jeffrey's attention. And this so caught his attention that he wondered what was this? Later in time, we would see now not only this picture, but an, a computer-enhanced photo of what that person would look like in this second image you're going to see. Since that time, they've made a 3D model of the person, and this event, this experience, why it's called the Shroud of Turin. Jeffrey died at the Battle of Poitiers in 1357, that was the end of the Hundred Year War between England and France. And passing that burial cloth on to his granddaughter, who later would give it to the House of Savoy in 1453. It was then moved to Turin in Italy, where it resides today. The Shroud of Turin is one of the most mysteriously and scientifically investigated relics in history. For years, they've tried to disprove it, and yet it keeps coming back more mysterious than before. It has been featured on the cover of U.S. News and World Report, on the cover of Time Magazine. If you study a little bit into the facts of the shroud, here's some things you'll find. The composition of the threads are consistent with first century plants. The dimensions of the cloth match the cubic measurements used by the Jewish law and the custom for the burial cloth. Pollen samples, which recently was done in the last 20 years, through a new technique, suggest a journey of thousands of miles. They found evidence of pollen from Jerusalem, through modern-day Turkey, France, 
and now in Italy, where the artifact has been kept since the 16th century. The shroud contains blood type AB, which is consistent with Palestinian Jews. The wounds match the documented methods of Roman crucifixion. When Mary Magdalene went to the tomb of Jesus and discovered that the stone had been removed, she returned to tell others, but what did she see? We assume what she saw was an empty tomb, and she did. Did she see more than that? In haste, she returned to tell others. And they returned to the tomb, and when Peter heard the news, he and John ran to see what Mary saw. John, to his amazement, saw, the scripture says, the linen cloth. When John entered the tomb, it says he saw and believed. They all saw the same thing, and they all believed, but what did they see that plunged them headlong into faith? What is it that you see that will plunge you headlong into faith? What is it that will bring you to the reality face-to-face with Jesus Christ? For them, everything was happening so fast that there wasn't time to process at all. Where were the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb? How was a four to 6,000 pound stone moved out of the way from the entrance? And where was their Lord? Their first conclusion was that someone had stolen the body. But who would do such a thing and why would they do that? Then they looked and it says they saw the linen cloth. Why John mentions the linen cloth three times in just two verses. What was it caused John to believe? The scripture says, stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloth. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and it says he saw and he believed. While the Shroud of Turan is interesting, our hope is not based on a relic, but on the words of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. In that day, we're told people, in this day we live in, we're told that we're to trust the science. We're forced to conform to government mandates, lied to by Big Pharma. But you need to decide who you will listen to. Listen to what Jesus said. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised up on the third day. While Jesus was ministering and discipling those 12 individuals, he was telling them the whole gospel story, and they were listening but not listening. Have you ever done that? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) My wife said, are you listening to me? He said, yes. She said, what did I say? I don't know. (laughs) You weren't listening. I was not listening. I'd like to confess right now and get this over with. On occasion when they asked Jesus for a sign, the religious people said, show us a sign and that will be enough. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, you want proof? You believe Jonah was a myth? You probably believe I'm a myth. You believe Jonah was literally true, as the Bible says, and you're gonna believe that I literally rose from the dead. When others seek to surround themselves with doubters and skeptics, we, this church, will choose spirit-filled, God-loving people. When others invest in broken financial systems, we will invest in God. 
When others deny the faith, we will press into faith. When others say all roads lead to God, we will quote Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Oh, there's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, will you be a believer in that day or will you be a doubter forced to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord? See, the mystery of the story really continues with Pilate. Pilate washes his hands and he says, I find no fault in this one. Listen to what it says. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands, and they delivered him to be crucified. Here was Pilate who says, I find no fault, but he listened to the crowd. The crowd says, uh, he offered them Barabbas, and he said, No, we want, we want Barabbas free, and we want Jesus crucified. And he said, okay, but I'm telling you, I'm washing my hands of this. But then he doesn't exercise his power and his authority because he feared the Jews. And so what does he do? He has Jesus scourged and then crucified. In John chapter 19, we read of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came, and he took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus. Do you remember him? Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And then they took the body of Jesus, and they bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. It's an interesting pause in the story when we think about these two men. Two wealthy, influential men who, because of the pressure of religion in his life, were unwilling to speak up, but in his death came forward. Joseph was called an honorable man in the book of Mark. Honorable for the kingdom of God. He says it wait, he waited for the kingdom of God. He had a hunger in his heart. You know, the mystery is that. You can preach a crowd, you know, the same sermon to a, a large crowd of people, and some will say yes, and some will say, it doesn't really affect me. What's the difference? What is it that ignites faith in your heart? What is it you have to see in order to see faith and life? Why, the Bible tells us that it was Joseph who used his own wealth to care for the body of Christ. He was the one that gave the tomb that Jesus was buried in. I wonder if he knew it was only a rental. (laughs) I wonder if he knew, well, I had three days, I'd get it back. (laughs) I was talking to you, uh, doing a funeral one time, and a funeral director asked me if I had a plot. And I said, yeah, I've got a pretty good plan for my life. (laughs) He said, no, I mean, do you have a burial plot? And I said, well, can I rent one? And he said, rent one? Yeah, I, I don't plan on staying there. I... I just like one for a little while. Amen? You see, the great promise of Christianity is the resurrection. It is though I die, I will live. But people ask me, the most asked question I get is, what happens when we die? The Bible says to be absent from this physical body is to be present with the Lord. You say, well, what are we going to know? I've got a lot of questions for God. I promise you, you no one will get to question God. 
Because the Bible says, we shall know as we have been known. Now think about that. How do you know, how well do you know yourself? Not well. That's why you're always on a journey searching. You know, that's why you're always confused and asking people, what do you think I should do? It's because you don't know you. But imagine how God knows you. The Bible says, you will know you as God knows you now. You see, marvelous things happen in the resurrection. What about this other man, Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a chief ruler of the Jews, and he brought costly spices and myrrh valued in today's market at $200,000. Let me ask you something. Would you give $200,000 to honor your Lord? You might take $200,000 on yourself, but would you do it for the Lord? You see, but something moved Nicodemus. When your heart is moved, generosity, time, everything else goes out the window. You say, I just want to love God. He was the one that came to Jesus by night, you remember, and said, good teacher, rabbi, what must we do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus was confused. He said, can I go back in my mother's womb? How can I do that? He said, Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the law and you do not know that there are laws that govern the physical world, laws that govern the spiritual world, but unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I was talking to a Catholic friend one day and he said, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm one of those born again kind. And I said, do you have your Bible? He said, I do. And he handed me his Catholic Bible and I turned him over to John 3 and I said, read that. And it says, well, you must be born again. I said, see? It's right in your Bible. It's right in my Bible. You must be born again, amen? Right? That's the great thing about the Scripture. The Scripture is the uniter of everyone. If you just believe the Word of God and stay, step outside of religion, it's amazing how clear it is. Amen? You say, well, what, are, what, what tag do you have on you? Well, non-denominational. What is that? I don't know. I guess no denomination would have me. That's why I have non-denominational. Amen? But you see, the real thing that was confusing in that day was the absence of the body. Look at John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that would be John, by the way, whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. See, the dilemma in that day was, where is the body? If the Jews had taken it, or the Romans had taken it, they could have said, when the Christians claimed resurrection, they could have simply said, well, we have the body. See, there is no resurrection, but no one could deliver the body. In fact, it was said later that he was seen by more than 500 witnesses, indeed, that he was alive and risen from the dead. Look in chapter 20, verse 3, and Peter went out, and the other disciples, they heard the woman's voice, and they said, you know what, let's go see for ourselves, and make sure this is not just something that happened early in the morning. And so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Now, you notice that this is John's gospel. He wants you to know that he ran faster than Peter. <laughs> you know, I don't care how spiritual these guys are. There's, the guy always wants to up the other guy. Have you ever noticed that? And it doesn't matter if it's in doing something good and, and great like running faster or if it is doing something really dumb. Guys love to brag about how dumb they are in things. You know, guys say, well, I did this, did this, and you lost all this money. And the guy goes, that's nothing. Let me tell you about what I did, right? 
And there's something in us that do that, men. I don't know what it is. It's a fallen nature, I'm sure, and that's why God gives us women to try to help us on the journey and get straight. Amen? Come on now, guys. Ladies, can I get an amen? There you go, see? You know, you, you can act like you're right, but you will lose. This is the first rule of marriage. You're never right, right? She's always right, unless you're with guys and you're always right. There's just a couple of things. All right, let's go on here. So they, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where it is, and therefore Peter went out. They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and he came to the tomb first. And stooping down, looking in, it says he saw the linen cloths lying there. I was really struck by how many times that John takes us back to the linen burial cloth. I don't know if the Shroud of Turan was, is true or not true. As I said earlier, my faith isn't based on, but it's certainly interesting, isn't it? It certainly piques the imagination. And it says, they saw the, the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with a linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. The other disciple who came in the tomb first went in also, and then it goes on to say this, and he saw and believed. Was it the linen cloth? I don't know. David Roth, who's done an extensive investigation into the shroud, said the only way that that image could have gotten onto the cloth is a miraculous one, a miracle that emanated from the body with unbelievable amounts of energy within a short space of time. It literally is a negative. We have pictures that are positives and negatives. It's literally a negative, and when you reverse it, it becomes a positive. It becomes completely clear. It's not painted. Some thought early it was, it was Leonardo da Vinci who done it, did it, but it was found that it was on display before that. In fact, it was on display in 994 in Constantinople. Then it disappeared for about 400 years. The mystery continues, but the great mystery is the plan of God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, the apostle Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Do you realize that nobody could crucify him if, if God hadn't intended it? It was by the determined purpose, the foreknowledge of God. You've taken by lawless hands and crucified him and put to death whom God raised up. I don't know about you, but I love a savior that you can't kill. Oh, he might, you might knock him down, but he's getting back up, amen? Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. You realize if you want to, you can go to Medina and there you can see the bones of Muhammad. The bones of Confucius are at Shantung. The cremated bones of Buddha are in Nepal. Thousands pay pilgrimages uh, to worship the tombs which contain bones. But in Jerusalem, there is a tomb cut into a rock, and this tomb is the tomb of Jesus, but it is empty. Yes, empty, because he is risen. He died physically and historically, and he rose from the dead, and he ever lives. He sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for those of us who know the Lord. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, it said, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, who, whose by stripes you were healed. Do you realize not only does the resurrection bring about life in terms of eternal, it brings about healing. Now, this church has had hundreds of healings take place. We've had hundreds of people that, that have had mir sought miracles and they've seen evidence of it. Everything from brain tumors, uh, people who couldn't get pregnant. Now we have a lot of pregnant ladies. I don't know what's going on in this place, but God bless you all. We have two women that have twin girls. How about that? Amen, that's good news for the boys being born. Beef up the inventory on around here. You know, if any of you came here today for more than Easter, you came here knowing that there was, there was a God who loves you and a God who wants to heal you. I realize that hurt and pain and brokenness are part of the human experience. And I want you to know there's healing in the name of Jesus. I want to say this, that ultimately the great physician is the one that will touch your heart. If you need a healing today, I, I just really feel led to just say, I want you to know that you can receive the promises of God, that there's healing in the atonement, that it's by his stripes you are healed. And I just want to proclaim this over you right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. If you receive that, receive it. If God's speaking to you, saying, I came here because of a friend, but I really need a healing from God, I want you to know there's healing in Jesus. He goes on to say, for we all like sheep have gone astray, but now we've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Realize God is the one who shepherds your soul. He oversees your very soul. What will it profit a man if he, if he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Well, what's the gain there? What's the advantage? It says in 1 Timothy 2, God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You know what a mediator is? It's a go-between. It's an umpire. You know what Jesus did? When he died on the cross, he laid one hand on holy God and one hand on sinful man, and he brought the two together. You see, there's only one mediator. I'm not your mediator. There's no one on earth who's your mediator. It's only Jesus. You can come and tell me your sins, but you still got them. You go to him and he forgives you. Isn't that great news? One mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible says if we call upon his name, that he will save us. You say, what does that mean? What does it mean to be saved? It means to be forgiven of your sins, placed in the presence of God in good standing. It means to live in freedom. You say, well, if I get saved, will all my troubles go away? No, you might find new ones. But you'll have hope. You'll have confidence. You'll have joy in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now. And I want you to pray with me. I want you to seek the Lord. If you're uncertain, just bow your heads with me for a moment. If you're uncertain, whether you're saved, about your eternal destiny, I wanna, I wanna invite you to pray a prayer to receive Christ this morning. 
This is not a prayer to join this church. This is a prayer to join heaven and the kingdom of God. You might attend another church. You might be looking for a church, but we're more concerned about your eternal soul than we are whether you go to this church or another church. If you go to a good life-giving church and a good gospel-preaching church, we, we want to commend you. We want to encourage you. But we, we're more concerned about your eternal soul. So I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, you can just pray it out loud right where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Forgive me, Jesus. Come into my heart and save me. The Bible says, if I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart, that God raised him from the dead, I would be saved. If you prayed that prayer in faith, my words, but your faith, I want you right now, where you stand or sit, just thank him for salvation. Would you just do that? Something as simple as thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for bringing me into the kingdom. Just like that thief on the cross who looked to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What a great promise, amen? What a great promise, amen? Put your hands together. If that was your prayer today, and you said, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. You know, the Bible says, if we confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father in heaven. If you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just say, I just want to let you know, Pastor, I prayed that prayer today. Amen. God bless you. God bless you all over this house. Amen. Amen.